Hello and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad Football Statistics website and I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. How are you both doing? Yeah, good Joe, good Phil, yeah all good. Congrats Joe on the Irish Podcast Award nomination, well done there. Yeah, congrats, congrats, all good. Uh, just patiently waiting now for Christmas and the next international break. I don't know which, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, as we record, the voting has enclosed for the, the Listener's Choice Award for the Irish Podcasts Award, so we don't know if we're going to be in the running or not, but we'll find out, I'm sure, in due course. Kick off. I think we should just be honest here, lads, straight away, none of us really want to talk about these two games that took place in October. The game against Greece that's confirmed that we're not going to qualify for the Euros and possibly the most pointless qualifier we've ever played against Gibraltar. But look, we'll get through it. So let's get started with the the first of the two qualifiers that Ireland played uh, in October, uh, home qualifier against Greece. You know, surprisingly, few mentions in the build-up of any kind of revenge factor going into this game, which I actually wasn't too pushed about. I think your primary motivation in a qualifier should always be to qualify. And I find sometimes the, the talk of revenge against the team sometimes a bit distracting. But we started really well. We looked like we were up for this game for the first five, five minutes. minutes. And then I think and after that, as Gustavo Paya said in the press conference, um, you know, it, that's how long it took his team to adapt uh, an unexpected formation. And for a large periods of the first half, uh, we were just watching the Greece team completely bypass the central midfield, push balls uh, into the, the wide channels um, and put pressure on uh, a debuting Liam Scales and, and uh, Matt Darty on his opposite, opposite flank who hasn't started a league game yet for Wolves. The opening goal, when it came, I think if we had scored it, we would have been proud of it. Movement down the channels from a winger, uh, a cross into the box, and a bullet header delivered by, by the striker. But it's the kind of goal that, you know, when you're lining up with Shane Duffy and Nathan Collins in defence, both of whom are north of six foot and would probably, you know, head clear a concrete block you really shouldn't be conceding that kind of goal. Mark, what were you thinking after those first first 20 minutes and, and Greece had gone ahead? Yeah, I mean, Joe, I think you've kind of captured perfectly, really. It was a good start, wasn't it? First three, four minutes was all on the front foot from Ireland. Evan Ferguson's chance outside the area, hitting off the base of the post. You thought, yeah, might be a positive evening, but in fairness to Greece, nothing new what Greece did here. Again, they caused us problems on the flank uh, in Athens in June, and I don't think we were able to solve the problem. I don't think we were helped here, guys, by playing players, frankly, out of position. Like, I mean, poor Liam Scales, particularly, it was a baptism of fire from on the flank when he's been playing centre-half for Celtic. Matt Doherty, again, you know, in terms of no club action, they were kind of pinpointing here, and it was really causing an awful lot of issues for our midfield, whether to go deep or to sit back, and they did need her really, to be perfectly honest. I think the goal on 20 minutes, it had been coming, um, just a concerted pressure from Greece, really, on our flanks. I know Bazuno had produced a good save prior to the opener, but the, as you say yourself, the opener is very disappointing, just in terms of the pressure on the cross coming in, the free header. It's just not good enough. It's been endemic of the Stephen Kenny era, unfortunately. Defensive lapses have really cost us massively in his managerial career. And I think, to be fair to the players, on show, didn't think there was much leadership in terms of that, particularly in the first 20 minutes, to get a grip on the game. And uh, I think, to be fair to uh, Greece, Gus Poyet, it looked pretty comfortable uh, after that goal, to be fair. Didn't really threaten Greek goal in that first half. You know, coming up to half-time, you know, it's 1-0 and the team are pushing forward trying to get the equaliser before half-time and then caught on the break. Um, and Phil, it all began with uh, 
a throw into Ireland's possession was lost. A quick break by Greece again down that inside uh, inside left channel and a ball delivered low and hard, which went to the opposite side of the box. Came back and then tucked away neatly by um, Masouris. I was in the crowd and when that second goal went in, we just all the the, the fight went out of the t- out of the crowd and we all thought like this is probably going to end. It's definitely going to end in a Greek win and it's probably going to end two 0 like, how did it look on, on TV? I'll just start with that second goal. That second goal was like a goal you'd see a team score when they're 3-1 up with three minutes to go. It was a three-on-four as well. It wasn't like they had outnumbered us. It was a three-on-four, and the ball, as you said, has bobbled across the box, gone to the back post. Liam Scales has just turned his back on it, like he's never played football in his life before. Like, throwing his leg up in the air, turned his back on it, and the ball's been played back in where the striker has all the time in the world to actually pivot, turn, and pick a spot and shoot. It was it was just a terrible goal. It really was a bad, it's just a bad, bad goal. If we just go back to before the game, like I always laugh because kind of a common theme since Kenny's taken over is it's very, very hard to pick the team he'll pick. Or to predict the team he'll pick. Like, I see so many predictions. I always have a go at it, and I always get it wrong. But, like, nobody ever really gets it right. Even, like, the lads who have been following, following him for, like, three years, like Gavin Cooney or Dan McDonald or these, they never get it right. Like, you never know what team he's going to pick. So all the talk was the scales and will he change formation. So he decides he's going to give scales his debut. He's given scales his debut on that. Like, it's, it's the most must-win game. Like, if he wins this game he might get a stay of execution. Like, he might. This is it now. This is last chance saloon. What does he do? He gives Scales his debut. Everybody goes, oh, brilliant. He's given Scales his debut. Why is he giving Scales his debut? Because Scales has been playing well in Scotland for Celtic. He's been playing in the Champions League at centre-back. What does he do? He gives him his debut at left-back. At fucking left-back. Like, why would you do that? I, I know he plays full-back. But he's been playing well as a centre-back. He's in the team, obviously, because he thinks he's been playing well as a centre-back. And he goes and he puts him left-back. It, like, it makes absolutely no sense. And he looked miles out of his depth. And to be honest, I wouldn't have put him in the team at centre-back anyway. Because I don't think five or six games in Scotland merits getting a start in, in a competitive debut over someone like Dara O'Shea. So that was the first thing. The second thing is he changes formation. So all these players haven't played this formation together. You've got a guy who's come into the team and he's playing left back. It's just the whole thing was so muddled. And yeah, they got off to a great start. Hit the post. Had uh, had his shot saved. Hit the post. Like for the first three or four minutes, I was like, geez, we'll have a real go at these. It looked like he might have learned something. But no, they just reverted back to type. And I think the biggest takeaway from the Greece game was that Stephen Kenny and Keith Andrews learned absolutely nothing from that defeat in Athens. They learned nothing. They they didn't learn a thing. Greece let Ireland back into that game because Greece are not as good as everyone thinks they are. They they dominated that game in Athens, yet they were foolish enough to let Ireland back into the game one all. But Ireland weren't good enough to go on from there and either hold on or go for the win and they lost. They're not a great side. But Stephen Kenny learned nothing from that game. I don't know what they were doing. I don't know if they were how many times they watched their back. I don't know what the game plan was. But they learned nothing. Like Evan Ferguson didn't get a kick at the ball. I have no idea what they were trying to do for the second half. They really didn't do anything. They didn't. Like the first second half was was largely forgettable for chances. That was just the biggest disappointment. They learned they learned absolutely nothing. And they they weren't able to do anything. Because I know Joe, myself myself and you had a a nice discussion post game, just in terms of uh, Evan Ferguson and his touches and the heat map and stuff. And I think he, someone in the commentary team mentioned he'd only three touches in the opening half. I think one of one of them was probably the chance after about two minutes. So, I mean, you have to base it the game plan around your focal point player. And for me right now, Evan Ferguson is that focal point. You have to play to his strengths. His strengths are get that ball in quick. I think for me personally, 
there was so much caution in this performance. The conservatism in terms of the passing, the player movement, no options. I felt very sorry for Nathan Collins, by the way, to be hauled off at half time. I think he could have picked any one of three or four people on the Irish team here that could have been hauled off. And I think Nathan Collins has been made a little bit of a scapegoat, if I'm being brutally honest, by Stephen Kenny and Keith Andrews here. Basically saying, sorry, Mark, he's basically made a scapegoat out of him and Dara O'Shea and saying, I can't trust, like Duffy's back in the team. He's basically saying, I can't trust these guys. These guys have let me down. Because I think with Nathan Collins, I think he can evolve very much into that defensive central midfielder role as well. I think it's going to be a key few months here for Nathan Collins, particularly with Brentford. Um, hopefully Brentford can get up the table a little bit but you can see a Thomas Frank kind of looking at his options with Nathan Collins is he more a defensive midfielder because he's certainly a good ball player uh, I think it's going to be a key kind of period here for Nathan Collins and also for Darrell Shea I mean he's out of the setup in terms of Burnley at the moment he needs to fight his way back into the first team so I think for those two guys particularly it's going to be an awful lot of hard yards now for the next few weeks to kind of get themselves re-established into their first team setups. But I thought for Nathan Collins particularly here, guys, I just felt very sorry for him because just in terms of how the team was set up, you know, unfortunately he was the guy to be replaced here. But it's uh, it's not sending much for me in terms of squad morale with the management here and particularly with the management commentary before the game about the supposed inside information that was given to Gus Poya, I think an awful lot of stuff was completely off uh, for managerial-wise and also the player performance on the pitch. So approved. You know, Phil, you said that it looked like it was obvious that Stephen Kenny had learned nothing from the game against Greece in June. But even more than that, I don't think he learned anything from the first half against them. Uh, just that one, that one substitution at halftime possibly throwing Collins under the under the bus, but at least it it meant that we got to see Scales playing in his preferred preferred position on the left side of uh, of centre half. And in the stadium, fans started streaming out around the, the eighty minute mark. The familiar complaint that we've had that you know the changes Stephen Kenny waits far too long to make changes. I know we saw Manny come on at half time and I thought he did okay during the game. But we didn't see another substitution until the, the 70th minute when Johnston and Robinson came on for Brown and, and Smallbone. And then finally, Adam, Adam Ida with five minutes to go. Like, I remember we said it about Jack Byrne as well when he came on very late against Wales. You know, you don't bring a player like that on with five minutes to go to turn things around. Um, you know, if, if what's, what's on the pitch clearly isn't working, then bringing on Ida for Albene. It felt like a just it was just an acceptance of how it was going to end, and I know we had, we had one or two late chances, but you know realistically we were we were never going to score in that game. There was nothing calculated about many any of the substitutions. There was nothing. There was there was no huge tactical plan for bringing on anyone. There was no okay, we'll do this and this might work and we might get a goal. It was just let's just change like for likes or let's just bring it forward on for a forward. There was there was nothing behind it. The, this thing with scales as well. He's looking to curry favour with fans bringing scales in. Like if you were to, and this isn't a slide on scales, but if you were to look at that squad before the Greece came and you were to say, okay, we need to make a change at the back. Obviously, the change is Festio Baselli. Or Manning at left back. That's the change. Like, no one is going, we need to bring in a brand new centre back here. Like, we're not stuck for centre backs. Like, that is not the change that was needed. But he plays for Celtic. He came through the League of Ireland. He's getting his debut. Isn't it great? And all the talk when the team was announced was, isn't it great? He's getting his game. And that took, that was all the talk. So it was like, oh, well done, Stephen Kenny. You've brought someone else through. But it wasn't needed. The focus should have been elsewhere on the pitch, and he's fallen down for it. Looking at that second half performance with Collins going off and a few of the other senior players, like I understand that this that the the like it's always been a thing with the Irish team. They'll never they'll never say anything bad about their manager. That team down two is in the second half for Stephen Kenny. I don't care what anyone says. There was an acceptance that this is the end. This is it. We're done. This is probably the last competitive international at home we'd have to play under this manager. You could it screamed it at the telly. You could see it. And Benny has come out and he said he feels sorry for him. But like 
he's not saying, you know, give him a chance. It's working. It's turning. You know, they're not coming out saying that. He says he feels sorry for him. I feel sorry for him because he's he's done his best and it hasn't worked. But those players, they down tools second half. I made the comments at the end of the game that the only reason the boos weren't louder is that the stadium was about two-thirds empty at that stage. Uh, I think the attendance was given as 41,000, and even, I'd say, a kickoff, there wasn't 41,000 in the ground. Look, as far as I'm concerned, Stephen Kenny's reign came to an end after the game against Greece in the summer. And, you know, we, we all kind of accepted it at the time. And now we're just waiting for the, the axe to fall, for the, the final word to come from the CEO uh, and for him to be removed. And because he hasn't, but yet, and because the two games still have to be played, we still have to go to Faro and play Gibraltar in, what you know, again, a fairly pointless game, possibly even more so than the game we played against them in June. And again, it felt like very much that we just went through the motions pretty sure any international side that go that plays Gibraltar just gets by nearly on sheer ability alone. I'm not really sure how much coaching is involved. You kind of know what you're going to get against them. You're going to be facing two banks of five when you're in possession. You're not going to, there's not going to be a lot of space to move into. And the best thing you can do is play your, your best dribblers. You know, we saw in the game in June that Mikey Johnston made the difference when he came on at half time and you know, he was given his first starts for the national side on, on Monday. It means he's now played more minutes for Ireland this season than he has for his club, Celtic. He's only played for their B team in the, what is the, the fifth tier of football in Scotland, although he has been named on the bench for them twice in the Champions League. Look, I don't think we learned anything from that game against Gibraltar. Evan Ferguson is a good striker. Matt Doherty, you know, is good at coming in on the far post. And it was nice that Callum Robinson got to, to notch a goal uh, a year after his last strike in against Malta last November. And that's it. That's all there was to that game. It happened. We won. We have six points in the group. I honestly don't know if you guys have any opinions on those 90 minutes in Faro. Uh, I think, Joe, you kind of captured perfectly well. I think from a Republic Farm perspective, I think this would have been a perfect opportunity for the FBI to kind of say to Stephen Kenny, now it's time to step aside. Uh, I just don't see this last two games of the, the window, the away trip to the Netherlands and then this James McLean retirement or the tribute against New Zealand. I think a new manager would need to be, it is probably already in the works here. I suppose from a Gibraltar standpoint, <laughs> look, the, uh, their amateurs don't want to be, uh, to uh, critical of Gibraltar, but they offered nothing. The only thing you can say from Public Ireland is at least we saw Roy Manning get a bit of a start here in the left full back position. Did fine, like we didn't see much in terms of defensively, but you know he, he's a very good crossover ball. He's shown again his club form is, is kind of stood up there, but again tougher tests lie ahead. I thought it was good to see a little bit more invention from the middle third of Ireland. There was more innovative runs in behind. I mean, the first goal, particularly for Evan Ferguson. I know Matt Doherty's very reluctant to go run deep inside uh, the Gibraltar backline, but when he did, Evan Ferguson gets the goal after eight minutes. I think Mikey Johnston has probably done himself plenty of favours, just given the cameo here. But I think he needs regular first-team football elsewhere from Glasgow Celtic. I think he, he's not. he's going to be very much a bit better player this season. So I think all in all, look, 4-0, could have been 6, could have been 7, really. Uh, calling and goal was actually pretty good for Gibraltar, I have to say. But yeah, overall, Joe, it's um pointless exercise, really. Kind of heading into the kind of the latter stages of the qualification campaign. This Netherlands game here, it'll be kind of interesting just to see what sort of performance we get from this Republic of Ireland side, particularly. But it was good to see Evans Ferguson get on the score sheet as well, and also Obeni as well, to a certain extent. Find a little bit more directness now, again, from an Obeni perspective. Can we improve the final third distribution here, that final ball in? Because he has an awful lot of attributes in terms of his direct running style. But it's that final ball, that you know final pass, maybe needs to be a little bit worked on. But look, they got the win, the 3,000 or so Irish supporters in Faro got a win. Look, you move on.
like I said, there's there's nothing that we learned from that game. One thing that I was disappointed with was that across the two games, we didn't see a minute of football for Festi Ebiseli. Look, I have nothing against Mikey Johnston, and I'm happy to admit that him he played well when he came on against Greece, and he played well for the 60-odd minutes he was on the pitch against against Gibraltar. But I, you know, we question the choices made by the manager and, you know, saying that we can't, we don't understand the logic behind them, but he'll never, ever be able to explain the logic of picking someone who hasn't played above the fifth level of Scottish football ahead of someone who's a regular starter in Syria to me or possibly to anyone ever. You know, as well as that, did Gavin Bazinu really need to play in goals against Gibraltar? Did they have one shot on target the whole game? There was no reason he couldn't give uh, Mark Travers his first game, I think since this, he played against Serbia, or even give Max O'Leary his debut. I mean, that's a minor quibble. It's hard to complain about a, a 4-0 win away from home, but when you're facing someone like Gibraltar, there's an opportunity there for experimentation, which I felt we could have taken better advantage of. A few things. I suppose the first one was... Again, it's going to sound like I have a set on Liam Scales, but why is Liam Scales moved to centre-back for this game if he's not good enough to play centre-back for the last game? That just didn't make any sense to me. I think the other thing that makes sense, and it is kind of to bring up your point about Festia Baselli, I got really annoyed watching Kenny's post-match interview with Tony O'Donoghue because he says... Tony O'Donoghue brought up wing play, and he says, oh, well, now, you know, it's something we haven't been able to do. It's we haven't had wingers. We haven't been able. I love wingers. We haven't been able to play with wingers, and you know now we have them. And I was just thinking, you left Johnson on the bench last game. You've dropped Ben about a year and a half ago for three or four games, and like for absolutely no reason. You don't have anything that you didn't have before. You've had the wingers that you've all of a sudden wanted, you know. So it's just, it's more spoofery for me, to be honest with you. Now we have the wingers. He's had the wingers. All of a sudden, he's gone on about wingers and wingers and wingers, and now he's obviously brought in this McAteer-like. It's almost like, oh, well, I never got to play with the wingers I wanted. It's it's utter nonsense. And if you're going on about playing wingers and wing play and fast play up the line and hugging the touchline and all that, like Festi Baselli has played every game in, in Serie A this season nearly. He's played eight games or nine games. He's quick, he's powerful, he's pacey. Why aren't you playing him right back? Like, why are you playing Matt Doherty right back? The dots don't connect. It's just utter waffle now at this stage, to be honest with you. I think we're going to look back in a few years and go, ah, what a spoofer. It's interesting that he said that we don't have the wingers when, you know, the player that's made the most appearances under Stephen Kenny has been James McLean. No one's going to describe him as anything other than a winger. Um, well, go back, go back to any of his interviews in the last three years. When has he said, oh, we're crying out for a winger? Like, he dropped at Benny there about a year and a half ago for three or four games. We didn't see a sniff of him for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Yeah. You know, Mikey Johnson was fit and available for the Greece game. So was like Benny. Oh, now we've got the wingers for Gibraltar. Why didn't he play them against Greece? You know, if he loves them that much, if they're that good, if they, if they had such an impact. Why didn't he play them against Greece? If that's what he's been missing all this time. Oh, no, I've really found my wingers. Why didn't you play them at home three days before? Maybe we wouldn't have lost 2-0. Bollocks. Yeah. It's kind of contradicting his ethos, isn't it? From passing from the back, going through the lines. It's The, the game plan really hasn't been indicative of really screaming out for wingers that much. I mean, Obene, in fairness to him, has tried to change it up in terms of his direct running style, but I don't think he can consider the Stephen Kenny era as kind of an era where wingers have been paramount. I mean, the penny's just dropping with him now in terms of, look, he is Evan Ferguson. I would also counter in terms of who's his number 10 here to a certain degree, but look, Ferguson is his focal point. It's the fulcrum of the side for many years to come, and he needs good supply of uh, service into the box. You know? that, that was always a basic international football, and it's one that he hasn't seemed to grasp, even though he's had Ferguson for the last four or five games. Like, you just build the team around your best player. Like, if we have a solid enough backline and we have Evan Ferguson, just do what you have to do to get Evan Ferguson into the position he needs to get into. Like, Sweden did it for years with Ibrahimovic. Austria did it with Albert. They played him in centre midfield. You know, like, certain teams just only have one. Like, Gareth Bale in Wales. Like, just keep giving Gareth Bale the ball. Like, it's simple, but it's international football. It doesn't have to be overly complicated. Like, France do the same thing. It's like, just get the ball to Mbappe. 
Like the, the best chance you have of scoring is getting the ball to your best attacking player, and that's Ferguson. And we couldn't even do that against Greece. Like couldn't do it at all. So he hasn't seemed to grasp even a way of fitting Ferguson into the team that might complement the rest of the team, or fitting a team around Ferguson that complements him. Like he hasn't got near doing that. So like that's another kind of just massive red flag that he hasn't been able to figure that out. You know, when we were discussing the Greece game after it, you know, we looked at Ferguson's heat map and the majority of his touches were outside the Greek penalty area. And I, I, I remember that there was the stat from the game in June that his only touch in the, in the penalty area in Athens was the assist he got for Collins' equaliser. Ferguson is a great striker and he has scored from outside the box, you know, this season for, for Brighton. But he's the kind of player that you want to see in the penalty box with the ball coming to him. And we're, we just, he was coming deep to get to the ball, which meant that there was no striker in the box. Like you, you made the, the point there about France and Mbappe. Like what France do is they draw the, they draw the opposition out because Mbappe is lightning fast. They play the ball in, he breaks and scores most of the time. You know, Norway have Haaland. It's, I think it's, a bit unfair to compare any striker to Haaland at the moment, but we could you could look at how Norway and Man City use him, and it's just stay in the penalty area, we get the ball to you, shoot, that's it, that's all you do. I mean, he had I think eleven touches of the ball in their qualifier against Cyprus the day before we played Greece, and two of them were goals. He's probably the most efficient striker I've, that I might have ever seen in terms of the amount of goals he gets for the amount of touches of the ball that he has. Ferguson isn't on that level yet but yeah like it's like exactly what you said we're not set up to get the best out of his abilities but I think if we go through the the goals like and we look for any sort of pattern and go yeah that's how you know that's similar to that goal or that's similar to that goal I don't think we're going to find it there's been a lot of long ranges there's been a few nice moves but there's no actual like style of goal or a style of attack and play that we can actually point our finger to and say, yeah, that's like that's that's how Ireland score. It's not there. It's and I don't think I don't think it's ever been there really. You know, it's just been on a game to game basis. How can we score? There's no actual thread running through any of the game plans. I'll go back to it before and I think I mentioned it about a year ago on the pod, but it's very much a case of the underpants moment. It's phase one, collect underpants. Phase two, hmm, phase three, profit. For Stephen Kenny, it's phase one, play nice football. Phase two, hmm, phase three, goals. But we don't get them, and we don't know what he's trying to do in between. We have these two games now in November. Uh, our final qualifier away to the Dutch, who will go on to play Gibraltar the same night that we have a friendly against New Zealand. And I think the big selling point for that game will it will, be, will that it will be James McLean's final game for Ireland. And... I think the subtext will be that it'll be Stephen Kenny's final game in charge. A lot um, of tickets for that game left. It was sold as a package with the Greece game, and yeah. we could possibly see even fewer people at that than were left in Aviva Stadium at full time. Well, you'd imagine the so if, the, if they gave the attendance for the Greece game as forty one thousand, if it was a dual ticket combo with the season tickets, you'd imagine them it would have to be forty one thousand again because it's dual, and then whatever else they sell is extra. So by rights, it should it should be more than 41,000, but it'd probably be a lot less at, at, in the actual ground. Yeah, yeah we should have be ashamed of for James McLean particularly. You know, it's an international send-off fixture for him. You know, magnificent service to the Republic of Ireland. You know, he's fulfilled an awful lot of roles within various managers within the international setup of the Republic of Ireland. So... You'd hope that the attendance would kind of improve there, but it's going to be very melancholy, isn't it? There's going to be a bit of apathy here, depending on how this Netherlands performance goes um, uh, a few nights before. So, yeah, I think FAI FAI have missed the opportunity here, haven't they? Given the 4-0 win, Stephen Kenny, and then maybe kind of have a talk and see if there's... We have to be kind of... We can't be naive and think that FAI aren't kind of looking around for their options even now, are they? Oh, they have to be. But that just back back on McLean's send off, I think it will be disappointing, but I think as well the the fact that like the Dutch know if they beat us they're through. 
because they've Gibraltar in their last game. So all they have to do is, like, they're probably, as long as they don't lose to us, they're through anyway because they'll get four points. But they can wrap it up at home against us, you know, and go off on a bit of a high. So they are going to do, they're going to beat us, like, and they'll try and beat us well. And then it's a Tuesday in the middle of November, you know. It's dark, the weather's shite, you know, they're after getting beaten a few days before. It's hard for people to travel up and down the country on a school night, like, that's the only thing there. That's just, that's the only, even like myself, I'm working Wednesday morning and I'm like, hmm, do I want to drive three and a half hours up and three and a half hours down to see them play New Zealand? You know, I probably will, but like, there's a lot of people that won't. So, I think it's just going to be a very, I think Joe, you said Melica, it's just going to be, it's just going to be a very, Sad end to the whole thing, I think. Yeah, there was, I think, on second captains, they said it, it, it was Richie. It was Richie Sadler said that like it's a bit like if you're in a relationship and you have a holiday booked and you know it's over, but you just you want to go on the holiday, so you just go to the holiday. You already had an argument. You know it's over. You go on the holiday and then you come back and then it's over. And I think that's what it's, that is what it's going to be like. You know, it'll be everyone in the stadium will know exactly what it means. Everyone will nod and smile in Stephen Kenny's direction. And he probably will get an applause at the end of the game, but that'll be it. And it, look, it is sad. And when we knew Martin O'Neill's time in charge was coming to an end and we were talking about, you know, what you'd like to see the manager that succeeded him have. And you kind of said, well, someone who has a background in Irish football would be nice. Someone who has the the best interests of the game here at heart. Someone who could, you know, maybe even promote the League of Ireland. And someone who plays a, a good brand of football. And Stephen Kenny ticks, you know, every one of those boxes. He's done dark size, you know, play good football. And, you know, he did well when he was appointed under-21 manager. It was a little surprising, that given because it meant that it undermined Mick McCarthy as senior manager. But... You know, the reason people could see the reason behind it is and it was giving him, you know, an introduction to international football, which is a step up from League of Ireland football. I don't think that's that's too controversial. Um and when he when he was okay, he, he was given the the senior job then, okay, it was during COVID and lockdown and you know, even when he was being interviewed by an on RTE, he was socially distant from Tony O'Donoghue while he was being interviewed. Um, and it took, you know, it wasn't until the, the, till September, till the opening games in the, the Nations League that we saw him take charge. And just, it just hasn't worked. Like, I don't think it's going to be the end of, of his, his managerial career. I think he will go on to work again. But the search is probably already on for his replacement as Ireland manager. I think we're, we're all sorry for him. We all wanted him to do well. There was no reason for any of us not to want him to do well. Like, you know, he as you said, he ticked all the boxes. It was really exciting. It was like, Jesus, here we go. It's we're gonna actually see a bit of football. And it is, it's it's sad it hasn't worked, but at least they tried and he gave it a go and he just wasn't up to the job and that's life. But like I suppose at least they tried and at least it puts emphasis on the next appointment being someone similar but maybe of a higher calibre. He tried, the FBI made the right right appointment at the time. And that's it. Some things just things don't work in life. That's just the way it is. Now, the always the little cynic in me would say that I still to this day wouldn't give uh, the FAI all the credit in the world for coming together in a room and saying, right, lads, let's change the way we play football in Ireland. I don't think they did that. I think they came together and said, right, lads, the balance sheet's not looking great. I still to think to this day, think that's played a large role in Stephen Kenny getting the job. But the fact that he's got the job now and he's been in it and it hasn't worked means that the template's there. They can't go back now and, you know, get get a hoofer, as you'd say. So he will have that legacy at least. Yeah. No, I'd agree with you guys. Look, I think the context of when he was appointed, I think there was an awful lot of good feel, good factor. I think all of us at the start really kind of bought into his ethos, his vision. But I think he's been let down a little bit by the backroom staff assembled and there's been an awful lot of fluctuation in the in the in the backroom staff. I mean, you think of Damien Duff, Alan Kenny, Kelly departing, 
You had Anthony Barry that came in, made a bit of an impact, then was given a tap on the shoulder. He basically left. John Eustace came in. So there's been an awful lot of turbulence in terms of backroom staff. and it's been loads. You know, there's been an awful lot of turbulence behind the scenes. I don't think you can, you know, for Stephen Kenny, I think that's been, uh, you'd see other international setups. You don't see that fluctuation in terms of backroom staff personnel changes like you've seen in Republic of Ireland, but I suppose it's a results business, guys, and the fact of the matter is he knew going into this European qualification campaign that this was do or die here in terms of, you know, he kind of gave the European qualification as his asset test. He's clearly failed out. Now you can criticise all you want about players and all that sort of stuff, but I think it just hasn't evolved. We're, we were talking on the onset of this start podcast of the goals that we've conceded against Greece again, you know, you know, self-inflicted wounds, really, from a defensive perspective. That hasn't been addressed here. And I think, to be perfectly fair, just given recent team selections, like even Alan Brown, for me, is an attacking midfielder. He started very well in Preston North End as a really advanced role in midfield. You know, I remember him in Belgrade having a great game, being more advanced. You know, he's in the, the engine room. I mean, I think he still didn't fig- couldn't figure out who his best 11 were. And after... How many campaigns? I think it's time to kind of move on, unfortunately, for Stephen. You know, you'd hope he kind of stays around in terms of, you know, some way in terms of FBI development programs, cultivating that vision and ethos. But I think there has been an awful lot of factors here. I think it's time now. And uh, I think from the FBI perspective, do we have the confidence here in terms of the board to make the right appointment here, given the balance sheet? And also the fact that since Stephen Kenny's been in charge, there still hasn't been any corporate sponsorship of the senior men's team. When you see the senior, senior win, women's team going to a World Cup, yes, there has been turmoil in terms of the managerial post-World Cup, but at least they have a corporate sponsor. That senior men's team here is, whether we like it or not, is the fulcrum. It's the focal point of the FAI. And the fact that they have not been able to secure a corporate sponsor here is going to be very detrimental in terms of the candidates that they'll actually be able to select from here. I think it's... Um, yeah, it could get worse before it gets better here, guys. Just on that, if we do lose against the Dutch in a few weeks' time uh, in Amsterdam, it'll be the first time that we've lost six games in a qualifying campaign. Uh, we're currently on five losses, which equals our record for the qualifiers for Euro 1972, when we lost to Italy twice, Austria twice, and it was only a single draw against Sweden at home that spared our blushes and of course we went on then to lose uh, the away game 1-0 uh, in in Stockholm. I, I think as well it's important to remember that it's not, he's not getting the boot because we, we're not qualifying. Like the goal of this group was show us something more than the last campaign. Obviously we weren't going to qualify ahead of France or the Dutch but the the objective was Show us more than you showed us in the last campaign. Show us the improvement. Show us the style of football. Like, you need to show us this team is progressing. You know your best 16. You've introduced new players. You can amalgamate them. You can, you have a specific style. The style is working. You give it a go. It's gone in reverse totally. He hasn't even got near that. Like, near that. I know, like, Greece are ranked lower than us. People are saying they're better than us before we played them in the first game. Fine, they're ranked lower than us. They're probably on a par with us. We saw it in the first game. They weren't great. Like, we just were worse. But we didn't get near them over the two games. Even when they kind of let us back in the first game, we didn't, we didn't make a glove in them. You know, like to only, and okay, you have the France game at home. We were very unlucky not to draw it. But that was our only chance of the game, really. We were unlucky not to draw it. France were unlucky not to beat us 2 0. But instead of even being on a par or like stagnating with the last campaign, it's just gone, it's gone backwards. So there can't be any argument from anyone saying, oh, you know, he's not, he's getting the boot because he hasn't qualified. He's not getting the boot because he hasn't qualified. He's getting the boot because the team has got worse over the last year and a half. It's actually like it's in decline with a lot of players who are more experienced. And a lot of players who have come through that are much better. I would say the squad, personnel-wise, on paper, is actually in the best shape it's been 
in the last three or four years. Yes, they're worse on the pitch. So that just that just comes down to the manager at the end of the day. Like you said there, Mark. Like early when he said it might get worse before it gets better. I I don't think it will. Like look at the team. Like there's good players in that team. We've got Benet, Evan Ferguson. Cullen is a good player. He's a better player than we've ever seen under Kenny. You know, Collins is a good player. O'Shea, Bazuna, these are all good players. The the makeup of the squad is young. There is a lot more to get out of these players than the managers have been getting out of it. So I actually think there would be an upturn depending on who the new manager is. I can see there being um, a significant upturn. He did keep moving the goalposts as well, Phil. I mean... In the build-up to the last Nations League, the talk was all that this was going to be the this was the culmination of the two campaigns that he'd had in charge: the First Nations League and then the qualifiers for the World Cup. And it was all building to this Nations League against Armenia, Ukraine, and Scotland. We were looking to top the group and you know get promoted to to League A, and that was all over after the first two games when we lost to Armenia and lost to Ukraine. And then suddenly the aim was changed and then it was, no, the aim all along has been to qualify for the Euros in 2024. The Armenia game was possibly when the majority of opinion started to turn against him. I think he still had the majority of support up until that game. But after the performance, after the result, and then what he said after the the results in the Ukraine game a few days later, people started to question it. Now, the result against Scotland might have taken the edge off and, uh, you know, the draw against Ukraine, especially the goal that we scored against them, meant that people were kind of saying, OK, maybe, he, you know, it was just a bad, the first two games were just bad days at the office and he is actually improving. But there hasn't been any improvement since. I'm not sure which game it was, but there was a, 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 you know, he said after the game that he's given so many players or their debuts and, you know, and that's good and he's building for the future. But you can only build for so long. Eventually you have to deliver. And he he just hasn't. And it's, I feel sorry for him because, you know, you can point to, to COVID, you can point to players not sitting where they're supposed to or, you know, and sometimes you can't, you can't account for, Penalties or, or rash tackles that ends in that end in red cards. Every manager has has got exactly. Every manager, every manager has to deal with it, and he's just he's short of being good enough. There's been a lot of one goal losses. There's been a lot of almost, you know, Nathan Collins almost equalised. Troy Paris almost scored against Scotland, you know, to put us two up away from home. You know, we could, we could go on, um, and. If it was a one-off, if uh, if any of these things just happen once, you kind of say it's bad luck. It's just that instance, but it's starting to feel now that he's he's it's just that he's just not good enough for for this level of management. You mentioned moving the goalposts, like that was like the point I brought up about the wingers earlier. That was him, like now I've got wingers. Like that was that's moving the goalposts again. So now you're telling us that all along you wanted to play with wingers and you haven't been able to, even though you've had wingers. Like that's. That's just rubbish. Like one of the one of my friends texted me the last day when uh, it was like when it broke that McIntyre was switching allegiances, and he said, "Jesus, isn't it great that Kenny's still going after these players? You know, even though he's he's pretty much done. You know, fair play to him. Like it's a great little parting gift." And I was thinking to myself, I don't think Stephen Kenny realizes he's done yet. It wouldn't surprise me if he still thought there was a there was a chance he'd get a new contract. Genuinely, wouldn't because. It's just the kind of character he is. It's like he's he's trying to fool everybody else and fool himself at the same time, but it's he's not fooling anyone but himself. So I think just that's it. It was just it was worth a go and it didn't work and that's it. Look, we've been having the same conversation at the end of every podcast we do. We've nearly been having the same conversation for the last like year and a half now at this stage. But the only difference is we have new bits to add on to it, like you know. Now we've got the two Greece, you know, now we've got the Greece game and the next time we have this conversation will be after the New Zealand game where he mightn't, it mightn't be announced that he's sacked yet and we'll be having the same conversation about the Dutch game. It's just been the way it is. Something's going to give. But he's just lived so precariously in this role though. He's always been a game or two away from really being in big trouble here. 
I mean, the Scotland game at home, DV with 3-0, I think it has to be the highlight for him. I think, you know, we mentioned about final third indecisiveness or muddled mindset, but at least in that instance, I think you could see with Obafemi and Parrot that there was some link-up that was there. There was some cohesion. But then you kind of fast-forwarded that tape. And, you know, this infamous end-of-season preparation for this Greece game in Athens and the performance that was delivered in June, guys, like on reflection, I think had, for me, was most was very inept in terms of what was done, probably preparation-wise. Maybe they were overtrained. I'm not quite sure. But I think, you know, it all comes down to the management and how they prepared the side. And, and even coming into last week, guys, you know, the key handers, I have to emphasise it, the comments pre-game, to give Greece the motivational factor to come to Dublin, accusing a, a professional team, an international team of inside tracking of uh, scouting reports and stuff it just amateur just amateur amateur you know like Greece were kind of saying well we beat Ireland 2-1 yeah Dublin this might be a tough proposition all bets were off once Keith Andrews uttered those words in the press conference and to be perfectly fair you know (laughs) anyone from Greece probably coming over would have been pretty confident because the, the heads would have been up so I think even from that perspective, the naivety to basically come out with stuff like that. This is how many qualification campaigns in. I don't know whether that's a diversion tactic from the backroom staff management to get the media hordes basically write something else instead of their future. But it it's just doesn't seem yeah, desperate. What it looked like. You know, so I think from that perspective here, I think if the FAI, seeing as how they clinically dispatched for Europe after an World Cup, you know, if consistency is there, I mean, this should be kind of done fairly clinically. And it has to be on the Wednesday morning after the New Zealand game, so be it. I but think they're going about it the right way, Mark, though. I think they're, they're, they're giving them all their OP needs and they're, they're yeah. seeing this contract out. like. But, like, you bring up the Scotland game there. Like, Jesus, if we were to actually just look back, like, the the, the more time goes on, the more of a, of a... And I know it's hindsight and everything, but if you look at the circumstances around that Scotland game... They just missed out on qualification three days beforehand. And if you look at where they've gone from that defeat to now, you wouldn't have said Scotland would be where they are now and where we would, we would be where we are now. If you took that game, you know, and just looked at it through that, through that performance. Because one team has gone one way and the other team has gone the opposite way. But look, I think that's an international manager though and a backroom staff that realise their strengths and weaknesses of their team. Absolutely. You know, but even you know, like like you brought up the um the Armenia game as well, like the one 0 against Armenia. I think a lot of people the Armenia game at home when they had a they had a five on I remember laughing, I was behind the goal and I was with one of the lads. I was actually laughing. It was we were three two were we three two up or was it two all and they had a five on two with about a minute to go and they were down to nine men. It was three two, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it. Like, yeah. I was just it's littered with stuff like that, really, when you look back in it. But what more can we say? Yeah. Like, I think there will be positive points from the Stephen Kenny era, but I think we've met you, Phil, you mentioned a few players here during that era. These guys have to step up now immensely more than what they have done in this qualification campaign. I think for one or two of them, reflections have to be kind of given here in terms of some of these performances have been well below par. So if it is that Stephen Kenny departs, it's the same set of players. And I think I touched on this in the podcast before, that I think the player responsibility and leadership within the group, like these are guys now that have been given the opportunity of Stephen Kenny. They've now the 10, 20, 30 caps from Stephen Kenny. Some of these guys really have to put up or shut up now, to be honest, because I think the new manager may find here as well that some of these players may not, unfortunately, make the cut here. And I think from an international management perspective, that's going to be proposition how the FAI are going to attract, if it is a new manager coming in, to really run the rule over the squad. And I know we have exciting under-21s coming in, but again, it's that winning culture, it's that winning mindset. It's not there at the moment, uh, given the form and the confidence. So I think whoever comes in, it's going to be a hell of a job to basically resurrect morale here within the playing group and getting not ditching the playing style that Stephen Kenny has really kind of envisaged here, but I think there needs to be probably a little bit more pragmatism in terms of the key players, and those key players being 
the Evan Fergusons. Uh, I'd be intrigued to see guys in terms of the likes of the Michael Lobafemis and the Troy Parrots and guys like the Andrew Morans and you know guys like that. That how they, will they kind of feature heading into a Nations League or a World Cup qualification? Because you know, as you say, Phil, the potential is certainly there, but it's now kind of now getting it on the pitch and getting consistency of performance in here. Like Scotland have done that since their 3-0 home loss. Now, they did have a reality check against France and Lille. But again, this is all learning curve for Steve Clark and his team heading into the Euros. They're, they're done and dusted as regards going to qualification in Germany next summer. So I think from our perspective around, we just need to reflect, again, the body of evidence here. I think, you know, probably in hindsight, you're probably right, Phil, in terms of, you know, give Stephen Kenny until New Zealand. But again, if I was in the FBI's shoes here, I think the body of evidence is already there. I don't think two games here, one game in the Netherlands and one a testimonial game in New Zealand is really going to affect the matter, though, is it? No, I don't think so. But I do think, going back to the squad and the, situ- the, the kind of makeup of the squad now, it's a far more attractive job now than it was, say, when Stephen Kenny was approached for it. You know, as you said, it is like, and again, like, I suppose we talk so much about the manager, like the players haven't performed in games either. Like it's not all in the manager. Um, but when you do see the potential of some of these players week in, week out in the championship and the Premier League, say, and Syria and that, and you see them play for Ireland then and they look like a shell of the, shell of the type of player they are when they're with their club, you do ask questions. But I do think does I think it's a much, it's a. I think it's an attractive job. Like if the money's right, it, like there's enough there to to get a sniff of qualifying. You know, we all thought maybe if the draw, like before the draw was made for this qualifying campaign, we all thought we had a good chance of qualifying if we didn't get an absolute, you know, shite group, which we unfortunately did. But if we didn't get France in, we got someone else who wasn't maybe a top class pool A team, or we got a slightly worse off team than Holland. We all would have thought we maybe would have had a chance with this group of players. So I don't. I think that rings true for the next qualifying campaign as well. Yeah, I suppose it's how we're seeded as well, though, Phil, as well, isn't it? Like, I mean, we're finishing this group now as 14 out of 5. There's going to be ramifications there in terms of the next qualification campaign. I know we have nation, probably Nations League coming up, but I think for the new Comet manager, they're going to look at more difficult opposition to face now in another qualification campaign which is not ideal really I was just wondering like you know they say this managers are often appointed that they can be the the opposite of their predecessors but I mean I think what's probably required here is just a, an evolution of what we've seen under Stephen Kenny and, and an improvement on it I mean like you know, slightly better organisation, slightly better use of uh, the ability of the players that we have available to us. Someone who's maybe a bit more comfortable in front of a microphone as well would be nice. But, I mean, I don't want to go the complete opposite to him. He's just been a little bit short in too many of the categories that you need to succeed as an international manager. And I think what we need to do is find someone that's a little bit better in every one of them. I think... It'll come down to financials as well and the availability of of whoever. Like, there's not that many names that come to the top of the house. We'll, we'll discuss this at length, I suppose, next month. But it like it does. Like, in, Mark, you brought up the sponsorship issue. Like, it really does all come down to money at the end of the day. Like, of the quality like, of the caliber of manager you can attract. So. See, like it would not surprise me if Damien Duff was called. I see people going on about right. Like it wouldn't surprise me if he went if they went for Roy Keane, like or Robbie Keane. Like what's I don't know. Like to give me other names. Like Lee Carsley is the obvious candidate. Like, but besides that, like and your big Sam's, there's not many. It's not like there's a big depth in in names. So there's Brian Barry Murphy at Man City. Although that's probably a stretch as well. Yeah. Like, so I don't know. Like, who is going to be out there as well to commit to this job as well? I mean, there's going to be an awful lot of good, even backroom staff members that might look for an opportunity to become their own boss here. But is inter- international management is a different beast here as well to club football. So 
uh, like for the FBI, I don't envy them because they'll have their criterion in terms of what they want to set out in terms of how Stephen Kenny has adopted the game plan here. But again, I go back to the revenue streams here. Money's going to be tight, and unless they have scouts here that are identifying maybe uh, an emerging coach within continental Europe here, or maybe I'm not sure. Because, you know, you hear the same names. Lee Carsley, England under-21 boss, I don't think he's going anywhere, guys, to be perfectly honest. And then you're kind of looking at the, you know, the grand scheme of things, the same usual guys, you know. <laughs> I'm surprised Alan Kerberstein hasn't been mentioned, you know. <laughs> you know, that sort of vibe, you know, of the people that I have been mentioned for all these jobs like, year in, year out. So I think, to be perfectly honest, it's uh, it's going to be a... You know, it'd be a tough sell for FAI here, given, I think, the financial considerations here as well. I saw someone suggest Chris Coleman. Chris Coleman, Jordan. And I actually, I thought, I don't know why, I thought Chris Coleman was dead. But he's not. He was just off in India managing for a few years. It was so bad. Oh, um, my God. Do you think we could take a leaf out of Celtic's book and maybe look, you know, really far afield? Pasacoglu was managing in Japan when he was appointed at Celtic Park and nobody knew who he was or what his record was like or the kind of football that he played and he was a massive success and now he's he's top, currently top of the league with Spurs like I, I I don't know if there's anyone in the the J League or you know the A League in Australia that would be interested in the step up to international management but it would be interesting I think the problem is everyone is trying to do that now. I think it was 10 years ago, maybe, yeah. Like, look, like it all started, I suppose, with Arsenal and Wenger. But now everybody is trying to find the next big thing, you know. So you're in competition with nearly every club. Everyone's trying to find the next Deserby. I think, looking, I think it'll probably go one of two ways. I think they'll probably either try and go with a young manager, like someone like Duff or Carsley, who will give them two to three campaigns. They'll obviously now have an eye on the Euros as well. Or they'll go the other way and they'll go the elder statesman way for the next campaign or two and go down the Trapatoni route and look for someone experienced who can organise an average team with maybe one superstar and try and get the best results out of them for the next qualifying campaign. I think that's they're, that's probably the two avenues they're going to go down. It's one or the other. I know this might be off the wall. Ralph Hassenhudl, former Southampton manager. He has a good working relationship with quite a few of these guys in Republic of Ireland already. Um, might be a bad shout here. As yeah. fans on this podcast might say different. But, you know, if you're even looking, thinking outside the box here in terms of someone from continent Europe who's had vast experience, particularly with Bayern Munich, you know, I thought he did a half-decent job with Southampton FC given the, the, the squad funds, the turmoil in the boardroom. I think someone like that might be, you know, someone out of work. That might be an opportunity not to hear for the FAI. Now, again, money probably comes into it. But, again, it'll, hopefully the FAI kind of, you know, if it is the case that Stephen Kenny is departing stage left, I think there has to be an extensive search here. You can't just be the, the same familiar name. So let's see how, what emerges, really. As you mentioned, you know, when, when Martin O'Neill's time was coming to an end, I think Stephen Kenny was the outstanding candidate that everyone could agree on. And I don't think that candidate exists at the moment. And, you know, when you look at some of the names that have been the favourites to take over, the odds have come in for Steve Bruce and Neil Lennon. But for me, all that really means is that people have been putting money on Steve Bruce or Neil Lennon to be the next Ireland manager. And I don't think either of them will be, to be honest. Actually, just since you said it, I've just gone on to Odds Checker there for a quick look. Um, Steve Cruz is the favourite at 5-2. to two. Neil Lennon, 5s. Lee Carsley, 11-2. Mark Kennedy, 15-2. to two. Then your Big Sam, Roy Keane, Anthony Barry, Chris Uton, Duff, Keith Andrews, John O'Shea. Like, then you Robbie Keane, Rafa Benitez, Mick McCarthy again. Come back, Mick, for the trilogy. Jim Crawford, Michael O'Neill, and then you're into crazy stuff like Jose Mourinho and stuff. So, like, you can see in the top ten there, it's very limited. Um, you know, we're not going to finish this discussion tonight. And no, I think... it's getting dep- it's dep- it's starting to dep- I was angry earlier halfway through the podcast. Now I'm getting depressed. Yeah, I think we're going through the, the stages one by one. I mean, yeah. I'm just waiting for acceptance. 
and I think that's probably not going to come until after that friendly against New Zealand. Like Phil has said, we're you know we started out as, as anger. I think we were I think we passed denial a long time ago, but we were all quite angry at the current state of things. You know we've gone through bargaining and we're kind of somewhere towards the end of depression and you know and the the final phase of the classic five stages of grief acceptance isn't too far away it would probably come after the friendly against new zealand which is which will be advertised as a send off for james mclean but uh, i think we all know who also is going to have their final appearance at a, at aviva stadium i want to thank mark and phil for joining me on the podcast uh, wasn't one that any of us were particularly looking forward to, but we all knew that it had to be done. You can follow Mark online at Hawkeye Psychic, and you can follow Phil uh, at Phil Flanagan. We'll get through this this long November. We'll all be off the drink for November, so it's going to hurt a little bit more, but we'll be over it soon. <laughs> yeah, likewise, guys. You know we have to get through those November fixtures. Hopefully, James McCain gets sent off that he richly deserves. And then after New Zealand again, let's see what emerges, really. We will preview these two games uh, in due course when the squad is announced. And we will review the results. We look forward to talking to you then. And uh, take care.